This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. I'm back at uh, News Corp Australia's headquarters, Surrey Hill, Sydney. Shari Markson, welcome to Media Week. Thank you so much, James. You're on fire at the moment, aren't you? Eh? You're just, I mean, well, you're... There's, there's always so much going on in Canberra and in federal politics, so you're never short of something to write about. In fact, there's always too many things. Yeah, yeah, because you've, I mean, you've had some great scoops um, lately. I mean, you're on the front of the tally today as we speak um, on pages eight and nine with a couple of stories, but I guess the most interesting one is another potential leadership challenge for a Malcolm Turnbull. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see where this goes. So the, the story today is that uh, Conservative MPs who are unhappy with the government's energy policy and with the policy direction generally are urging Peter Dutton to stand up and, and you know, resign from Cabinet and mm. challenge Malcolm Turnbull. So next week, Parliament's sitting again. So, you know, if, if, if he does decide to do this... Uh, then next week could be a big week. There's a, a bit of a push on because in September, Malcolm Turnbull reaches uh, our longest serving Prime Minister since John Howard. Oh. So that would be a big achievement for him uh, if he makes it to September. It's, yeah. it's hard to know at this point just how big the size of the people who want to oust him you know, how, how big it is, how big the push is, uh, and uh, those numbers, people always over-exaggerate them. Sure, sure. Um, and one of the other reasons I want to talk to you about, of course, is I mean, you've been filling your trophy cabinet the last few days. Um, Kennedy Awards, you picked up three big awards, including Journalist of the Year, and then you repeated that again this week at the News Awards. You also got, was it the Sir Keith Murdoch? The Sir Keith Murdoch yeah, Award, which is... I'm given um, Rippett and Lachlan Murdoch were both both in town, and Rippett in particular always tries to get to the News Awards, I think, doesn't he? It was incredibly special to have uh, them both on stage and first, uh, Lachlan Murdoch did a really beautiful tribute uh, to his to his dad, and, and spoke about how inspiring and how he dedicated his entire life to journalism, and uh, how News Corp, it's the most successful media and journalism and news and content company right around the world. You know, employing thousands and thousands of journalists. So it was a, it was a really beautiful emotional moment. And then they announced the award. So I went up on stage with them and it was just really, I've, I've spent my whole life at this company pretty much um, since I was 16. So it was um, really very special. I felt very grateful to be there. Yeah, I mean, it's good to see too. I mean, because they're selling off part of the company, aren't they? The, the 21st Century Fox, which is a separate business now. But it's it's good to see that um, Rupert and particularly Lachlan still seem very invested in the sort of the, the journalism side of their business. Well, they absolutely are. And, um, and Lachlan spoke about his grandfather, Sir Keith Murdoch, who uh, was a, a young journalist in Gallipoli and wrote to the Australian Prime Minister Andrew Fisher at the time, highlighting all of the problems, um, and which which ultimately led to the withdrawal of, of British troops just a few weeks later. So, you know, it's it's that tradition, it's that love of journalism and newspapers um, that's, that's really been passed down through the family. So they do really care about it. It's at the very core of of their business. So it's, it's you know, something... And that that's why they do make that effort to try and get to the news awards because it absolutely... That's what it's about. It's, it's just that love of the pursuit of the truth and telling the story. Yeah. There's very few people who love journalism like that. 
and yeah. put the money behind it. Well, that's right. I mean, they get they cop a fair bit of criticism, and I guess they're happy to take some of it. But but it's not often pointed out what they've done to you know, particularly in print media, what the, the investment they must have made over the, the journey to um, which has kept a lot of it going. I'm thinking. Yeah, and you, there are no you can't point to another media company, mm. definitely not in Australia, that that really invests in it. And you look at the commercial television television networks, and they all put ratings first, you know, 60 Minutes hasn't had a regular time slot in a very long time, whereas our company, it's it's the journalism that's the most important thing. Sure, yep, yep. I want to talk a little bit about you, about the, the, the story behind the, that's given you all these awards, but tell me, you've got some history with the News Awards too, haven't you? Tell me that little story. Ah, that's <laughs> so nice to ask. Um, the very first News Awards, before it became a big glamorous gala, it was 2004 and they were held in at Holt Street here in the, okay. in the theatre downstairs. Um, and I, was, I won the Young Journalist Prize that year and Keith Moore from the Herald Sun in Melbourne won the main prize and, okay. and we both then went off and spent uh, a couple of months working at the Sun in London. Wow. So that was 2004. Then when they became the big gala, um, I won the Young Journalist of the Year again in 2006. <laughs> I didn't want to enter it again because I thought I was beyond that at that point, but my editor at the time made me in. So it was, it was, um, yeah, it was really special to have you know, come that journey over the 14 years. Yeah, and uh, I think um, Rupert Murdoch seems very interested in fostering that new talent always, and somebody told me just this week a story about he often likes to meet a lot of the, the young sort of stars who've been identified as, you know, possible up-and-comers in the company, and, and he really keeps, you know, wants to engage and keep in contact with them. Well, and that, well that's why they have the Young Journal Prize every year, but and now they're sending each year, uh, they give it to the three best okay. younger journalists, mm -hmm. and they go over and work in the London Bureau of yes. News Corp. For, now they work for Australian papers, but, you know, they all have that ex overseas uh, correspondent experience, which is quite incredible in, in developing um, the skill set of a, of a young journo as well. Sure. Now, you're winning um, these awards justifiably so for the uh, the Barnaby Joyce story, isn't it, really? that, that um, well, it's, you, it, it's a body of work so, over the past year, which okay. includes but a that's few the headline, other political I guess, stories, it? but I, I yeah. guess that's the, the biggest one that had the most impact, yes. Sure, sure. So just to, to set the scene for us, just give us a little background, because I remember you used to, used to cover the media beat for The Australian, where we used to see you a lot of... Um, out at different functions and interviewing similar people at times. Then you moved across to the, the Daily Telegraph. Have I got that? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so tell have, us, well, set I the scene a for us. background in political reporting. I was uh, the political reporter for the Sunday Telegraph uh, under Glenn Milne. So I was the number two um, from 2007 to 2009. I was mm -hmm. based, lived in Canberra. Yeah. And then just kind of kept doing politics over the years. I went to Channel 7 and, and did you know, a bit there, just always keeping in touch with, with uh, political contacts, even when I was at Clio magazine. <laughs> um, I'd have a beer with politicians after work. Um, so, yeah, but then after the media round, uh, where I was media editor, yeah, Chris Dorr offered me the job of political editor at, at the Daily Telegraph. And so I've done that for just under two years now. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, are you allowed work out of Sydney with that? Do you spend a lot of time in Canberra? So I go it? to Canberra whenever Parliament's sitting. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. And which is the same as the, the politicians. You know, they're not in Canberra when Parliament's not sitting. So yeah. it's, it's Monday to Thursday, about 20 weeks of the year. Sure, OK. OK. Now, so we all know about the Bar Barnaby Joyce. Was there something you're proud of before that that 
that, that really made some ripples? That... Yeah, there have been so many stories. I mean, the big one, which was which was last November, was um, at the time a, I got a cabinet leak that the government was looking at holding the Banking Royal Commission. And okay. Remember, they'd been resisting and resisting and resisting it. And that was a big story, but what was kind of a... a or equally big story was who had leaked from cabinet and that kind of went on for a week. Um, then earlier this year, after the Barnaby story as well, there were the bushfires in New South Wales and I did an investigation about um, the dispute between the Rural Fire Service and the New South Wales Fire Brigade and how uh, that dispute meant that brigades weren't actually turning up to fight fires and it was it was costing a lot of property and I got a, a you know major leaked dossier about all the inst inst instances where people's homes had been lost or put at risk uh, because of this dispute and the operational failure and that led to a, a, a parliamentary inquiry um, and now they've overhauled all of their procedures which which they're implementing now uh, so that was kind of you know that's a less sexy story but it's probably yeah, a more important, important one in terms sure. of public safety and public impact. So there have been a lot of, you know, every single day at the Daily Telegraph we break stories. Mm. Um, I, I always have a few exclusives every week in the political round, but the, the others do as well in the crime reporting and uh, celebrity and state politics. It's kind of that, that's the, that's the, I guess, our main goal at the telly. You know, we really want to set the agenda every day. We try to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because there's, I mean, on the face of it, the, the Barnaby story is a lot deeper than just someone having an affair, isn't of it, course, really? Of course. Yeah. Otherwise, it would have been, you know, a story that lasted a few days. But um, after that big initial revelation that he was having a baby with his media advisor, uh, two days later, I had the story that they'd, the, uh, the Turnbull government had created a new job for her that hadn't existed before in a minister's office. The same thing happened again um, when that minister, Matt Canavan, lost his job. You know, she, she got a newly created role in another office. So it, it became um, a, a much bigger story that involved the, the covering up of the scandal at the highest levels of the Turnbull government and who signed off on her jobs and, uh, and a range of other entitlement issues as well. And it culminated, of course, in the sexual harassment allegation, which in itself was very difficult to stand up, as you can imagine, in this era of, uh, of lawsuits over reporting sexual harassment complaints. But, and that itself took you know, more than a few days. It was very difficult to, to verify and get that into the paper. Mm. Was the the picture the big thing you needed? Some of the the images that that went with the story. I mean, were you sort of working it for a while before you? Because I guess with something like this, you've got to be pretty careful, don't you? Absolutely. So I first tried to write it in October last year, and we did run a front page story that said Barnaby Joyce had a crisis in his personal life that was sending ripple effects in the Turnbull government on the eve of the New England by election. But at that time, you know, you can't prove someone is having... Well, his family were sort of... No, he's... Was he, wasn't he sort he, of... His, yeah. his daughters or something were... I heard stories about his daughters were sort of distraught at the something or something. His whole family was devastated yeah. at the time. Uh, he hadn't publicly said that he was split up from his wife. I, I knew that he was. You know, I did a lot of work. So I knew that was the case. But ultimately, you can't write... <laughs> that someone is having an affair, you can't sure. unless unless you have some sort of proof. Um, so we went as far as we could, which was which was that there's a, you know a crisis in his personal life that had affected his marriage, causing panic in the government. Um, and then 
we didn't know about the pregnancy. It would have been too early. She would have been two and a half or three months pregnant at the time. So it was over the next, over the summer holidays, I heard uh, that she, that Vicky Campion was pregnant. And then on the first week back at Parliament, the first week of February this year, I went, okay, let's, she'll probably be in Canberra with him. Let's try, get the photograph uh, that, that shows that she is pregnant. Yeah. Yeah, and then it sort of snowballed from there, didn't it? That um, were you surprised by the sort of reaction, or one hundred percent? I mm. I kind of thought it was going to be a big story, and I put another story. I had this other national security story I was working on at the time, and I. Um, called the editor of the Saturday Telegraph, Jenny O'Dowd, and I said, we're going to do that in Saturday's paper because I I'm, I'm, won't have time before then. We've got a big story coming out tomorrow. So I thought, I probably judged it would last about three days, but I didn't expect the backlash to whether it was in the public interest. Um, I didn't think that so many people would come out and say this shouldn't have been published. And people did. Peter Harcher, the political editor for the Sydney Morning Herald, came out and said this shouldn't have been published. And there were so many others. The Guardian didn't cover it. The Herald pretty much didn't touch it that first week. Uh, Channel 9 was very down on it initially as well. Okay. So uh, that was unexpected. Yeah. Um, the, the the ramifications of... Uh, has anybody been... If people walked away and not been accountable for some of the things that they should have been, like the, the the job, the subsequent job and stuff like that, has anybody sort of had to pay for any of that in any way, do you think? Well, or? they've obviously now changed the rules. That was the bonking ban because, <laughs> as it turned out, you know, ministers, according yeah. to the, the ministerial guidelines, they can mm. sleep with their staff. Uh, but, you know, in terms of the jobs there are no rules around that so and it is nepotism and it's something that doesn't sit well with the Australian public the fact it's public that, money though isn't it and that, exactly. you think they should be accountable but they exactly. can sort of do stuff and get away with it right? absolutely so the fact that you can get your girlfriend if you're the deputy <laughs> prime minister you can get your girlfriend a brand new job that didn't exist mm. in the office of, of a minister a highly paid job you know these are 100,000 plus jobs uh, we, we, People are struggling to find work in the suburbs of, of Sydney and Melbourne and all around the country, so that sort of thing doesn't fit well, sit well with them, but it's it's not illegal. There's no technical rules against it. Yeah. yeah. Have you read Barnaby's book? I haven't. I read a few chapters that I got the day before it came out that we, we put in the paper, mm -hmm. that I, I was leaked them, but I haven't read the whole book, no. Yeah. The... Did, do you were you surprised he's still a member? No, I don't. Do you ever think no. you think he might have considered getting out or going? I think away? there was a big push in the National Party for him not to run again at the next election. Uh, I don't think that push is kind of exists now because he is a very good campaigner. You know, he he cuts through. He can, he's, as he says, he speaks sense. So he is. Um, someone who can connect with rural and regional voters. Obviously, he's lost a lot of credibility because he's not the conservative figure they thought he was, um, and, and he can't now speak properly about, uh, you know, housing affordability, seeing as he had free rent and and family values and marriage, etc. But, but you know, I think they still recognise that he has a place, especially when they're 
probably not that happy in many respects with the, his replacement uh, for entirely different reasons, you know, for, for Michael McCormack's lack of cut through to voters. Yeah. Have you spoken to him much? To Barnaby yeah. Joyce? No, but he was in the Telegraph office uh, on Wednesday afternoon, actually. <laughs> uh, he did an interview with Miranda Devine. So, I mean, that's the thing with that's right. with a lot of these politicians. You know, they think you think they're never going to deal with your paper again mm. um, because of, you know, the, the, the nut, how many, the dozen, dozen or so front pages we ran on him. But he was back in there doing an interview. So, so promoting the book in a way, wasn't he, I guess? Yeah, that, sure. But, so, you know, so, oh, no, no, not this week. This week wasn't a book promotion, oh, no, I okay. think. Uh, he was speaking about energy mostly. All oh, right. I mean, that's the thing with politicians. They they hate you one day when you've <laughs> smashed them up on the front page, but a few weeks later they want to, mm. you know, use your platform to, to tell a story. Does, I mean, you deal with the politicians all the time. Do you, Barnaby, is it is it that any... Um, should we use him as a sort of a level of the quality of people we have in Australia? I mean, you ever disappointed by the the sort of performance of politicians and the, the calibre of people that are attracted to the, I guess, profession? Look, it's it's tough. You've got to be a certain character to get into politics. You have to be very thick-skinned mm. um, to, to put up with all of the scrutiny. It's not a lot of rewards, I guess, is there? Well, I mean, apart you from know, it is, helping the country, which is a, which is a pretty big award. Yeah, I mean, it's in many ways, it's a it's a hugely privileged job. Mm. You, know, you only mm. have a select number of people who are sitting there deciding policies for the twenty five million people in Australia. So, uh, in many respects, it's it's a job that a lot of them pinch themselves to be in, and and they really love it, and they want to do good things in Parliament. But everyone is flawed, of course, and it is a very difficult, high-pressured environment. They're away from their families a lot of their time, and so that probably leads to the sort of bad behaviour that it goes un- has gone un- unchecked previously in yeah. Canberra. Yeah. yeah. The... Um do you, do you, have you developed a style? I mean, you, you're very prolific. I mean, you, you write a lot of stuff. So how hard is that sort of, you know, to juggle if you've got several stories and you have deadlines and... Um, a style of working or do you mean... Yeah, so well, yeah, yeah, just working and you're working your contacts yeah, and then just the physical task of sitting down and banging it all out, you know? Um, I spend most of my day... This is not how most journalists work, <laughs> but I spend most of my day making phone calls and speaking to people and ha- having coffees and that sort of thing. And then um, and I'm sure my editor wishes it wasn't this ca- the case. I'd probably sit down to write at about 5 o'clock well, and then just really yeah. bash out the stories. I mean, after I've been a journalist for such a long time, I write very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, so it's more I just need to make sure I'm, I'm getting the best story that day and to do that you need to speak to as many people as possible to try and work out what is actually going on. But no, I definitely, yeah, file as, as late as I can to give myself time to write when I've got the full picture. Sure. Yeah. So you thread it together during the day or over a few days with your calls and your, your chats and... and your meetings and stuff like that. Well, it's a daily paper. You're filing something at least, you know, today, as you said, a spread, another interview with Tony Abbott and the columns. You're filing a lot every day. Yeah. But usually the writing process, for me anyway, is is quite Mm. quick. It's, it's, yeah, it's the, it's really all the stories come come from talking to people. Sure. I I like to always ask people if they thrive under deadline pressure. Is that <laughs> is that your motivator, do you yes, think? Yes, I, I think it's impossible for me to write without a deadline. Really? <laughs> Just 
it just wouldn't happen. Yeah. 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 The um, do you do you mix much with the sort of Canberra Press Gallery journalists or? Well, when I'm there, I try and catch up with um, politicians or political advisors during the night time. Uh, you know, I'm away from my husband, so I need to make sure that it's very useful, productive time. So I don't do much socialising with the Canberra Press Gallery, but I do have um, a few friends, a few friends there, and I get along with all of them mostly well and we chat in question time and around the corridors and things yeah 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 you you say you've you've mostly covered politics i mean you had that little time out at clio mm. um you've done some stuff for tv you do a fair bit with sky at the moment do you enjoy that that tv side of it would you like could you see yourself doing more tv in the future or yeah i love um i love doing this the sky chats and the commentary and getting involved in the discussion. I filled in for Peter Credlin recently uh, for a week and a half and, and it was um, it was really good fun, yeah. went, just when she was on holidays. It was great fun. I think the good thing about television is you have a live interview with a politician, so they can't suddenly say, oh, we're, move, we're moving off the record now, <laughs> which is what they always do to newspaper journos. Okay. Um, you know, they're, they're sitting there, so you can ask them absolutely anything and they, they have to give an answer. That's the beautiful thing about TV. But, yeah, it's nice, especially at News Corp now that we have bought Sky to be able to combine that with the, the newspaper and the breaking the stories every day. Sure, sure. Um, uh, do you find social media helpful as a as a resource much or no absolutely no. not <laughs> no <laughs> no I don't know do you find it I don't I, I, I tweet out my stories just because it's what you do but mm. I don't engage you know I, I don't have the time really because it's yeah it can be time consuming to sort of sift through stuff and it's just mm. you know it's just such a bitter place well, it is, yeah. I mean, you were part, I think there was a story in BuzzFeed recently and I think you were one of the journalists they interviewed about how women cop a lot of abuse, you know, on social media. Um, have, you, have you felt much of that? Because, I mean, you've got a, you have a Twitter following and you, you know, push out some of your own stories. Do you get a bit yeah. of a backlash there? I really don't. It does not affect me at all. Like, there, yes, there... 100% is the abuse and any day if I look at it, if I look at my mentions, there's always people abusing you. It's just the way it is on Twitter. And it's, I'm not particular with that. It's everybody. You know, mm. they, they do it to a lot of journos. I'm sure not just women journos or journos, but genuinely doesn't bother me, doesn't affect me at all. I think, you know, I would be bothered if my editor had an issue or criticised me or my family, but strangers on Twitter and even if they're not strangers if they're other journos you know I really don't care what mm. they think it doesn't doesn't matter to me mm, sure um, career influences are there are there people you could say yeah look you know I've I, I learnt off them or I sort of they, they motivate me or um, I think at the start of my career when I was a teenager and I worked at the Sunday Telegraph um, Jenny O'Dowd, yeah. who's who's still the Saturday Telegraph editor. Sure. Um, she hired me, and she just had such a focus on you can't really come back without the story. You had to get the exclusive. You had to get the interview. We couldn't get beaten by the Sun-Herald. And at the time, those papers were very competitive. Hard to imagine now the Sun-Herald never has any stories. <laughs> but they were very, very competitive then. Um, and so I think that definitely has influenced my whole approach to journalism, just... I hate being beaten ever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that and that keeps you keeps you going, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and my current editor Chris Dor is uh, is brilliant. He's really really focused on 
on having the best stories every day and he gets uh, some editors maybe take a broader view but he really wants to know the details of each story and um and the, the, the absolute particulars of it so he then can suggest or push you to go get a particular angle or a document that will take it further or uh, and, and often it's something I haven't thought of mm. you know and, and what pro like for the Barnaby Joy story well what actual process did they go through in in moving her between the offices get those actual documents involved who signed off on it so we had a front page story saying the prime minister's office signed off on it mm. you know that sort of detail he he really gets into that so i think it's really imp- a big reason why the telly's been so successful and it won brand of the year for yes. news corp is because of that sort of focus and attention to detail f- from the editor yeah and I guess you you thrived with that challenge too, would you? You just you keep digging and you keep researching and chasing up even more contacts to try and get that. Exactly, I'm very motivated myself, obviously, <laughs> but it, having that additional level of uh, of pressure from your boss always helps. Yeah, yeah. That um, Lachlan Murdoch talked about you, I think, in a, in a speech, didn't he? And he just, I haven't got the note, my notes with me. Described? Did he say take no prisoners or? Yeah, take, what, it was when what he was, was the an, wording. What it was when he was announced the words. Yeah, he said a take-no-prisoners approach right. to, to journalism in it, and he spoke about the ripping stories. It was the yeah, it was really, really lovely and touching, and I felt quite emotional when he when he spoke about, um, yeah, my journalism that way. It's yeah. amazing to hear the owner of your company, you know, say those sort of things. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've got to be pretty gutsy at times, haven't you? Do you ever feel how are you with that, you know? Are you, some people are, are not good at, you know, Confrontation or just pushing too hard? Does that ever worry you? Do you? No, I, I'm the opposite. I think sometimes my editor's saying, don't send such strong emails. <laughs> no, I, I need to be pulled back, not pushed. Right. Yeah. Do you think you're ruthless at all? You, I don't, I don't is that, know. Is that a, it's a probably very, not a good way to put it, but. Um, very determined. You're determined, yeah. Yeah, I don't. Okay. Really, I don't take no for an answer or stop finding out about something. And, yeah. Um, like there was one story. Uh, back in 2011 or 12, where the deputy pri- uh, premier of New South Wales, which was Andrew Stoner, said he didn't have solar panels on his roof. Was, you know, solar panels were the big thing at the time, and um, and I knew he was lying from a because of a contact. Or well, he said he had. Yeah. Anyway, it was, uh, and so I spent three months digging into it, and ultimately got all the evidence. Um, Related to the story, and that was that one was nominated for a Walkley. But yeah, it was. It's that just when you know someone's not telling the truth, and you want to just keep going until you get the proof. Yeah. Uh, because politicians should be held to account. They mm. they absolutely should. Do you think you've ever pushed too hard? Have you ever looked back at a story and go, oh, maybe I? I'm sure I probably went too hard. Well, I definitely went too hard when I was media editor, I think. <laughs> and I made a lot of enemies. That, Did you? Yeah, and who are still, a lot of people don't speak to me. Oh, really? Or, um, or hold things against me that I've done. And I don't remember it because, you know, when you media editor, you write the media diary, there's about eight items each week. You can't mm. possibly remember everybody you've <laughs> criticised or covered in that, in that period. Um, but Emma Alberici turned up at our News Corp Awards, actually. Oh, wow. She came as a date of uh, a journalist at The Australian called Anthony Clant. And 
I said hi to her because I saw her. And the first thing she said to me was not congratulations for the award. The first thing she said to me was she started having a go at me about an email I'd sent her in 2014 when I was wow. media editor. <laughs> and she was furious. She was still furious about it. Yeah. Because so, my memory is you used to report on internally as well as externally at news, didn't you? You thought, you know, if it's media news, our readers will be interested wherever it comes from. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Which was an approach... Um, of, of course, encouraged and, and condoned by my editor at the time, Chris Mitchell. Sure. But uh, probably wasn't, perhaps wasn't the right approach. Yeah, yeah. So you'll probably never be covering the media beat again. <laughs> no. And that's probably no. okay with you too. <laughs> definitely, though, <right>? definitely. <laughs> but it was also a sense that, you know, I was writing about these stories everyone else was doing and I wanted to get back and do my own. Yeah. Sure, sure. So what's the, before I let you go, what's the future for you? What have you, what's on your horizon? What have you got coming up? You, um, I don't know. I'm having a baby in December, which is exciting. Is that um, going to slow you down for long? No, I'm guessing I not. No, I don't, <laughs> I don't think so. Um, and then, I don't know, just I love journalism. I've always been in this industry. It's, it's my whole life. It's, yeah, it's yeah. who I am. It's everything that I love. So hopefully a long career at, at News Corp. Any sort of, have you got, do you, how long do you tend to, do you have stories that sometimes you work on for quite a while before, before that you can sort of bring them up for air? Yeah. Yeah, most Is there a few now you think you've got bubbling away? Yeah, most stories aren't a quick turnaround. Yeah. So most you... you um, well, not most, actually, but, yeah, the big ones But you'd be not. pretty impatient, I reckon. You'd like to get them up pretty quick, wouldn't you? You can, but it's different with some stories. You yeah. know, you just have to... Just if if you publish too early, you get in all sorts of trouble, so you have to wait till you've, you've got it all in a row. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's a few that... And you just don't know if... You, and you have to be comfortable with the fact that they might never be published, which is the case with, okay. with a lot of stories as well, if, if you can't get there. Yeah. So you've had a few yarns you just... You knew were right, but you probably couldn't, for different reasons, they, they never saw the light of day. Yeah. Well, for example, the Emma Husai is one that I was looking into last year, put in the inquiries about Shorten's office were, in, in, you know, involved in, in stopping us reporting it. Um, because there was, you know, dramas with her family and the courts, etc. Uh, and and now then BuzzFeed broke it and I looked back and I thought, what could I have done? What decision did I make there to stop pursuing it that I possibly should have? But, uh, you know, there's there's always stories like that. Every journalist has that. Yeah. The um, If Fairfax goes to nine, do you think that'll change the sort of uh, the market much? Will it... Well, there. I mean, you always compete compete pretty fiercely with Fairfax on stuff. And um, do you think it'll make them a bit more formidable? Or well, Channel Nine also does break big stories in their own right. They've got a great reporter at State Parliament, uh, Chris O'Keefe, who, who yeah, breaks a lot of stories. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't know how they'll work together. It depends how closely the teams merge. Mm. And Fairfax has been doing a lot of stuff with the ABC and Four mm. Corners. So will that end as well? Um, it would be. It depends how they how they make it work, and it's very different cultures. The nine culture, yeah, and the Fairfax culture. I mean, you've got to think at least for the foreseeable future they'll probably stay separate, and that's mm. what Hugh Marks and those guys are saying. Cause it, it would be a challenge to combine them, and and both teams would be pretty proud of their own independence, wouldn't they? Without sort of wanting to go and share their newsroom, I guess. Yeah, but if there's some big in, investigative pieces, they might start partnering with Sixty Minutes. Sure if it's the type of story that 60 would run. Because, again, you know, they have a, a different news sense, if you like, to the Four Corners. So yeah, I'll be fascinated to see how they play it. Yes, 
yeah. how they make it work. Yeah, indeed. All right, look, great. Uh, thanks for um, getting away from your desk for um, <laughs> half an you. hour today. Thank um, you so much, James. Great talking to you, and we'll look forward to um, further front page um, insights and headlines. Thank you very, very much.